Hey, before we look at God's Word, let's pray. Uh, I need all the help I can get, so let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your great love and grace. Thank you that you have called us together to uh, be a family, to, uh, to take the gospel to the world, to uh, love each other, and to walk in a way that is glorifying to you. So we uh, pray your blessings on this time that you would uh, bless and as your word is read and preached and, and heard, and that you would help us to practice it. In your son's name we pray, amen. Hey, uh, <clears throat> you know, I've started this ministry, and one of the things was that I've been in ministry for so long, and I've, I've kind of done enough stuff right and enough stuff wrong, where I feel like, gosh, if, if I don't, use a little bit about what I know and have learned much the hard way that it would be a, a, a sinful, it'd be a waste. And so I've started this ministry called Great Commission Coaching. And, and as it's kind of worked out, I'm working with pastors down in Mexico in this uh, rough part of Mexico called Cancun. So I know, I know. It, uh, I like beach communities. What can I say? And so before I started, I was talking with a church consultant. He said, look, you should do this, but first you need to write a book about what you did when you were pastoring, you know, starting and pastoring the church in Ponte Vedra Beach. And so for about three months this summer, which pretty much is the summer, I wrote a book, and it's still being edited. And, uh, uh, but one of the chapters in the book uh, called uh, Write Your Own, chapter 16, because Romans 16 is one of those unique chapters in the New Testament where Paul goes through this list of people that he's been with throughout the years who have, you know, they've served in the gospel ministry. And uh, so let's look at this passage and talk a little bit about it and see uh, uh, what impact it could have for our lives. Uh, so just start in these first 16 verses. I command to you, our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria, I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been a great help to many people, including me. Uh, greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Greet my dear friend, Apinatus, who was the first convert to Christ in the province of Asia. Greet Mary, who worked very hard for you. Greet Andronicus, and Junius, my relatives who have been in prison with me, they are outstanding among the apostles. They were in Christ Jesus before I was. Greet Ampilatus, whom I love in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow worker in Christ, and my dear friend Stachys. Greet Apelles, tested and approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the household of Aristobulus, 
Greet Herodian, my relative. Greet those in the household of Narcissus who are in the Lord. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and, uh, and his mother, who has been a mother to me, all, uh, to me too. Greet Asyncretus, Philagian, Hermes, Patrobus, Hermas, and the brothers with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister Olympus, and all the saints with them. Now, I bet you've never heard a sermon on this passage, have you? I haven't. But look at some of these things. They're kind of interesting. Uh, Note when Paul is right here, it's an incredibly personal and affectionate section in Scripture. And there are several other epistles that at the end of it, you know, he's saying, greet so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so, you know, that, that he... He uh, talks about these people uh, a lot. And if you had this image that Paul was sort of this lone evangelist who kind of just went through Asia Minor, stirring everybody up and preaching the gospel and getting arrested and beaten and going to jail and all those kinds of things. Well, he did do those things, except he didn't do it alone. He was always with people. That uh, there was this intimacy that happened. All right, there's 24 names in this chapter. Six of them are women. Uh, And Paul uses these very affectionate terms to describe each person. And uh, um, I know Jeff is preaching through Philippians, I guess, from the the, uh, bulletin where I guess the bulletin got printed before he got sick or before he was booted out. Um, And uh, I, I came out of the bullpen. And so... You know, when Philippians starts out, it's just an incredibly personal letter. You know, it says, Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. You know, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you all, always offering a prayer with joy in, your, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. You know, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I have you in my heart. And so you see this this incredibly personal uh, uh, relationship that Paul has developed with the people with whom he has served. And I think uh, if you were to ask folks, you know, what are some of the things that you really want in life? You know, you want friends, you want purpose, you want uh, affection and intimacy. And so Paul has that. It's all developed here. You know, he talks about this... uh, you know, Rufus, whose mother was a mother to me. And uh, he talks about co-workers. You know, don't we all long for that intimacy, for that significance? Uh, you know, how, you know, I've thought, you know, sometimes it'd be nice to go move into a double wide on about 50 acres and where I don't have to know anybody. And I think, what an awful experience that would be. And what a... Uh, a terrible thing for me because you know life is to be with people you're not supposed to be 
You know, I think the great sins of all the monks is they were monks, and they, they separated themselves, and uh, that's not what God has called us to do. Now, another thing that's interesting, note the variety of the roles that the people have here that Paul lists. They're, uh, you know, they just performed a bunch of, uh, of different things. There were people who were preachers. There were people like Phoebe who, who just were great at, um, at being a help. She was listed as a deaconess, and also that's a word used for just a mature woman. But she served wherever she needed to serve. She was a, you know, a helper. You know, Priscilla and Aquila, they opened their home. They had this great gift of hospitality. There was uh, people who were preachers and people who were just alongside Paul when he was in prison. They served a variety of roles. And one of the things I have learned in fact, when, you know, starting a church, the, uh, wh- where I was, you know, I did my demographics, and in Ponte Vedra, there were only 16,000 people that lived in Ponte Vedra, but just to the north, you had Jack's Beach, and then you had Neptune Beach, and then you had Atlantic Beach, and essentially, it was an island, and to the, the west, uh, you had this foreign country called Jacksonville, and we made fun of people who, you know, who lived in Jacksonville, wondered why it existed, and, and, um, and we realize you're on an island, there's a, a, a closing window of opportunity to reach the people there because when it's built out, no new people come in anymore. And so we thought they're not going to be building churches there. So the, if these people are to be reached, they're to be reached with the churches who are there. So we had to think big. And one of the things that we said is that in, in order for people to be in a church and to stay, they need two things. They need friends, and they need a job. And uh, we did all kinds of stuff to get people in, to let people know. We, we made a deal with the uh, utility company. And so for $10 a month, they would give me all the new utility cut-ins, and we would send them five pieces of mail and say, you know, if there's anything we can do for you, let us know. And we would get all kinds of people who would come and look at us first. And I did weddings and we did funerals and we brought in all kinds of people from doing those kinds of things. But it happened and I never even touched it. I mean, I, I had a you know forged signature or scanned signature or whatever. But, but then another thing we realized is that for people to serve in a church, to, to really be the most effective and the happiest, they've got to combine three things. One is their personalities. You had to take advantage of your outgoing. We wanted you out front greeting people, and we wanted you to be thinking about outreach. If you are an introvert, you may be best served uh, uh, doing some stuff behind the scenes or, or stuff that that's helps and, and uh, you know, where you're most comfortable. And then, uh, so, you know, whatever your personality type is, that's where we wanted you to serve. And then take into advantage then, your spiritual gift. We wanted teachers to teach. We, we wanted administrators to administrate. Uh, and, you know, we just looked at all the, the, uh, the gifts listed in Scripture. And, and uh, if you ever want to figure out how you decide what your gift is, walk out here in the middle of Wednesday night when everybody's eating dinner and drop a plate of food. Everybody who has the gift of helps will run and start cleaning it up. Everybody who has a gift of mercy will say, oh, man, I feel so bad about that. All the teachers will say, I told him not to carry that plate like that. <laughs> you know, if, if you're kind of a prophet, you'll just 
talk about how bad that is for everybody to do that kind of stuff and you'll be critical anyway you know and so there's you know and if you if you drive a truck you have a gift of help so just you know just know that that's why I will never drive a truck because people ask you to move and things like that or help them move and then then you got to think through What's your passion? What is the thing that God has really burned in your heart that has called you to do? You know, I love church planting. I love working with pastors. I, I, uh, you know, they make me cry lots of times because I hear about the brokenness and the things that, that go on. And I remember uh, a few years ago, I went down to Cancun and I'm sitting and talking with Santiago's uh, brother, Eleazar, about his church and he goes oh ab it's been a hard year you know we had a worship director that um got frustrated and he he kind of led this rebellion and we lost half the church to that and and uh you know and, i mean tears were coming to his eyes as he was talking about you know 20 or 30 people left his church and so you know you're, you're it was just devastating to him he takes it as a personal rejection and uh but I love moving alongside guys like that and praying for them and helping them. And, I mean, it, it, you know, it makes my heart beat fast. I love that kind of stuff. And so it's important that I serve in that sort of way. And I would say, you know, what is it that God has done in your heart that, where you want to serve? What opportunities are available there? Uh, years ago, uh, I was on staff at Second Pres. I was an associate pastor there. I did singles ministry. Tim was part of that ministry. He's come a long way now since he's not single. As you can tell, he moved up. And uh, we did this uh, softball game one time and so had these two captains. Uh, one was a guy named Steve Black, who was an attorney. And then another guy, Doug, I forgot Doug's last name. He, he's a psychologist at the uh, Christian Psychological Center. And so Steve got all his players, and he's telling them where to be and all that kind of stuff, you know, very straightforward. Doug, much more therapeutic, said just go to the place where you feel the most affirmed. <laughs> it's a very non-directive kind of coaching. But um, – there was a lot to that, which I think is very, very interesting. And, you know, it worked out fine. I don't, I don't think any team dominated. And, um, but, you know, if we really believe God is sovereign, and we really do believe he's loved you and he's equipped you, he's called you to do something. I love, you know, the chariots of fire. You remember Eric Little, who... Uh, was one of these guys with uh, Great Britain, and he uh, he won a couple of gold medals. And he was battling as to whether he should run on a Sunday, because he was uh, he was a missionary that was called to go to China, and he postponed his trip to China so he could run in the Olympics. I believe they were in Los Angeles, and his sister was rebuking him about that, and said, "You know, Eric." Don't do that. God has called you to China. And he said, yes, God has called me to China, but God made me fast. And when I run, I feel his pleasure. How has God made you? 
where when you serve him a particular way, you feel his pleasure. There's a sense that I was made for this. Whether it's cleaning up a plate of spaghetti or opening your home or teaching a, a Sunday school class or keeping the nursery or greeting people out here before church or serving in innumerable ways that we couldn't even list them all. What is it about you that when you're walking with the Lord and you're serving Him, you get a sense of God's pleasure? You figure that out. It's part of writing your own chapter 16. Then note another thing is the breadth of geography that, that uh, Paul is dealing with people from all over that section of the world. I'm amazed at the things, I mean, the, the people that God has brought into my life from all kinds of other places. You know, he talks here about Rufus in verse 13. You know, his mother was a mother to Paul. And then in Mark chapter 15, it talks about Rufus. And Simon was the father to Rufus and Alexander. And then uh, I just, you know, I... I love going down to Mexico because I'm put in all kinds of situations where I'm really uncomfortable. I don't speak Spanish. I mean, I know enough to get in trouble. And, you know, I, I know when people are cussing at me, you know, it's like a parrot. You learn how to cuss because those are those sharp words. And, you know, so, you know, if you're a kid and you're taking Spanish, you don't want to learn it from me. And then also, since uh, I've, uh, I didn't really adopt him, but we raised a boy from Mexico from his 15 years on, and I guess he just turned 40 uh, uh, back in November, and Juan uh, spoke a very vernacular Spanish, and uh, so I've learned all, quite a bit from him, and I can be offensive in two languages now, so uh, it's, it's quite good, but I'm amazed, though, that, the, uh, you know, right now that uh, there's pastors down there in Cancun, and I'll be there with them next Sunday. And they're standing up before their congregation right now preaching the gospel. And I just think there's something so incredibly cool about that. As, you know, Santiago's opening the word and preaching to his congregation. Eleazar is Felipe, Samuel, uh, Josue, all these guys that I've gotten to know over the years that... Um, and I think that's something that's very, very exciting that we see that, that, that uh, you know, in, in the Bible study for what, that the men do on, on Tuesday morning with Greg, we're studying the book of Acts. And one of the things we see is that God is always pushing the, the Christians out away from Jerusalem to go out into the world and to take the gospel. And so often they go quite reluctantly, but they go. And as they go, they are always blessed. And, and part of this blessing is there's this long list of guys that Paul has in his life in very intimate ways that, uh, and it's, you know, what a rich, rich blessing that is. And I think how much poorer my life would have been had I not uh, been associated with those guys in Mexico, those guys at, uh, in Ponte Vedra, those folks at at uh, Second Press, and it's, um, it's amazing. Now, I think that 
in churches we get boxed in sometimes and we you know we do things a certain way and we've always done them that way and we think we're going to do it that way till Jesus comes back you know it's kind of like the old southern baptist guys that would uh, um, you know always preach from the King James Bible and and uh, they did it for centuries and they said we're doing that because that's the one the disciples used and it's a joke you know but they really believed it and uh, <clears throat> they get kind of stuck in their ways. I did. You've probably heard this story. It's a Jerry Clower story. Y'all know who Jerry Clower is? Okay. So this church is having uh, a meeting about whether it's a Baptist church. You know, they vote on everything. You know, it's, uh, that's reason to be Presbyterian in and of itself. But so they're trying to decide whether they want to buy a chandelier. And they've got a congregational meeting and uh, this one old deacon shows up late to the meeting and everything and says, wait a minute. In the first place, uh, we don't have the money for a chandelier. Uh, we don't need one. And in the third place, nobody here even knows how to play one. What we really need is some lights. <laughs> so you can see that happening. That probably is a true story. We don't need a chandelier. We need lights. So... <clears throat> But here's what I think. Um, I think the church ought to take the, you know, get out of the box, take the blinders off, and begin to try to see what if we're totally faithful to God and he blesses, what would he do here? What would he do in your life? I hear stories about uh, friends who have worked in India and in places in Latin America, uh, Cuba, where the church is just exploding. And I, I want to go and see that. I don't even necessarily know if I want to be a part of it, but I'd like to see it for once in my life. And I, I read this passage like in Ephesians, where uh, Paul's saying, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's something that God just, you know, kind of bust our paradigm we think we've got him in a little box, but he's so much greater, so much bigger than that. So when I sat down and tried to write down, you know, what would my Romans 16 be? Well, you know, there were several people that just jumped to the list. One is I hired a lady to do our children's ministry in Ponte I met her before the church started because she and her husband were part of a church on the west side of Jacksonville and their pastor had left. And they needed to fill the pulpit. And I thought, well, I need to do some preaching because I hadn't done much. And um, so I got to go over there on the west side. I met her. And I met her the week after her mother had passed away. And, and so she and her husband are taking me to dinner after the service. She started crying like crazy the minute I met her and, and telling me about her mom and all that. But Anne and I had several mutual friends. And after a couple years... We got things going in Ponte Vedra, and I needed a, a, a full-time children's director. 
we couldn't afford one. I thought, well, really, when you hire people part-time in a church, only the salary's part-time. The work is always full-time. And so I called Ann up, and I said, Ann, would you leave that God-forsaken west side of Jacksonville and come to the beach where God is alive and working? And, uh, and she laughed, and I said, you understand I'm trying to hire you? And she goes, oh. Well, ultimately, she came over, and her husband had done real estate, and it was right around the crash. And so they didn't have but one car, and they couldn't move to the beach yet. And so uh, every Tuesday, I would drive halfway. And uh, her husband, David, would meet us at this uh, Avenues Mall, and I would get in, and we'd drive back to, um, to Ponte Vedra to our little office. We didn't have a building yet. And along the way, we kind of had our staff meeting. We would talk, and we would pray together, and uh, we would talk about what, what needed to be done. You know, and ultimately, we said, okay, Ann, we've got to think bigger. We've got to get out of the box. Your job is to make sure that every kid in Ponte Vedra has an opportunity to hear the gospel. We're not talking about doing a children's program. We're talking about doing a children's ministry. And so let's figure out how to do it. And then we always joked, and I said, Anna, you know, there's two requirements. If you ever charge anybody anything for VBS, because, see, we were, we were starting on the end of the um, PTL scandal, so money was always an issue. So I said, we're not charging anybody anything. And if you ever charge anybody, you're fired. And if you ever turn anybody away, you're fired. Uh, we're taking them up to the last minute. God's sovereign. If he brings them at the last minute, that's his business. I don't care why anybody comes. I want to crack at them. So uh, last year I was there, we would take uh, pre-registration for a VBS. And we were up to 400 people. And Ann said, the teachers want to cut it off. I said, no way, Ann. We got 28 acres here. By the statistics, we ought to be able to get 100 people per acre. So we ought to be able to hold around 3,000 people. So figure it out. Let's make it happen. She goes, okay. And I said, every staff person's given up their office uh, that week. Everything we're doing, every, you know, any closets, we're using everything we can for VBS. So she said, okay, I'll figure something out. She comes to me the next week and says, okay, here's the deal. You asked for it. We're going to use tents, and we're going to have to have them air-conditioned. And this is what they're going to cost. And I swallowed hard and said, okay, I think God's really in this. And uh, announced the next Sunday, we're going to have tents for VBS. They're air-conditioned. we got six of them reserved. They're 20 by 20. They'll go right out here in this little area, and we need them. And uh, had a check that day to pay for everything. 600 kids showed up to VBS. And here's the great part. 240 came to know Christ. Now, when Ann and I get together, what are some of the things that we remember? Well, that subject always comes up. And we talk and laugh about, remember that fifth grade Bible club, those boys? They kind of became uh, kids in junior high and high school, and now some of them are actually in the ministry. It was amazing the things that happened. Well, Anne's on that list, and others, Tom Frazier. I remember when Tom, Tom's dad started the Royal Caribbean cruise line out of Miami, became a millionaire when he was 21, went out and bought a lot of cars and lost all his money, done a number of other things, but Tom wanted to see us build a building. That was important to him. He had done all kinds of building. 
I remember the first day he walked into the Marriott at Sawgrass. He looked hungover, and uh, and I knew who he was, and uh, uh, so he called me that Sunday afternoon. Said, "Hey, could could we get together?" And I said, "Yeah." So I met the next day at the Marriott at Sawgrass for lunch. He goes, man, I heard you Sunday, and I've been miserable ever since. And he began to tell me his whole story. Let me tell you, his life changed when he heard the gospel again. And uh, we built three buildings. We were able to acquire a good three million in debt. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, Tom is ready to go again. Uh, his life changed. Another guy named Don Brett. Don came because his wife came. And uh, he was retired Secret Service. He'd been a bodyguard for Kennedy through Reagan. Let me just tell you, men after 40 years old do not come to Christ. It just doesn't happen. So the minute I met Don, his wife had been in church three weeks, just checking it out, making sure that he wouldn't be too offended. So I went up to shake hands with him, and he goes like this. I'm here because of Trish. So don't expect that I'm going to be here or be involved in anything. I said, that's cool. And, um, but he came back the next week. And he came back the next week. And before long, I would have everybody go through a membership class and they would write their testimony. And Don ended up getting involved in a small group, came to the class and uh, said, hey, I don't have anything to write. And so I went and met with him one day at lunch up at Slider's restaurant up in Atlantic Beach. And I shared the gospel with him. And he, says, and he said, you know, it's like a light came on. I've never heard this before. And we walked out into the parking lot, and he prayed to receive Christ right there. It changed his life. But he's on that list. I mean, I remember what, you know, and there, I can go on and on and on and on. Uh, Bill Johns, who was our youth director, uh, I laughed because I said, look, here's the deal. We got 16,000 people we got to reach. Now, about a third of those are teenagers. So uh, how are we going to do it? And so he says, well, I need membership to the beach club. It's called the Cabana Club. So I got him those and all our youth staff those. And then he asked for jet skis. And I said, Bill, I just can't go that far for jet skis. But I always thought, you know, in my book, I said, you know what? If your youth director's not asking for jet skis, you've hired the wrong guy. They need to push to that, and then you need to be able to tell them no. I said, we'll rent all kinds. Well, uh, Bill's back here in Memphis now, but he's kind of on that list because of the things that we did and, and uh, sharing the gospel with all kinds of people. I need to end real quick. Within five miles of Faith Presbyterian Church, there's 100,000 people who right now don't go to church. They're sitting at home watching Maria Bartolomo or whatever else is on Fox News or whatever else. They're out taking a walk, planning the soccer schedule for whenever it is. They're not here. 25% of everybody who doesn't go to church says they'd go if somebody asked them. So that means you could have another, you know, by Sunday you could have another 25,000 people here if they were asked. Here's the thing that's important. Our Lord is worthy of the worship of those 100,000 people. 
He deserves that. They don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. God deserves it. Um, her story of a guy who went to this fishing village. It was a rainy day. All the boats were in, in dock and all. And he walks into this restaurant. and It's kind of a restaurant and a bar. He's eating lunch. And uh, a fight breaks out. You know, it's a little scary for this guy. And uh, they kind of got it all settled down. Everybody, nobody was arrested or anything. But he uh, turns and talks to the, one of the local guys. Said, What's the deal? Why is there a fight here? He goes, hey, we're a fishing village. When we don't fish, we fight. You know, that's what the church is like. When you're all inbred, just thinking about yourself, you get selfish. You fight. About stupid stuff. But when you're fishing, when you're out there uh, bringing hurting people in who, you know, are desperate, you know, they've lost loved ones, they're battling illnesses, their life has crashed, they're, you know, they're torn to pieces because life has dealt them something that they've tried to fix themselves and they need help then you know what? Whether we had the chandelier or not, it really isn't that important, is it? Because we're talking about life. We're talking about the stuff that is so incredibly important. How to love broken people. How to help people through those difficult things. One of the most moving scenes of any movie I've ever seen was at the end of Schindler's List. The war's over. The Germans have left the prison camp and the Russians are just about there and they've got Schindler and his wife in the car there's stuff's in the car and he's standing behind the car and he's saying goodbye to these people and he begins to break down you know he takes his watch off and it says this could have bought two more lives he looks at his car this could have been another five people you know and he's broken about the things that he didn't do, well, God values life. You and I are so important that he came and he sought us out because he loves you and me. And those people who aren't here yet, those pre-Christians, they don't know about God's love yet could be because we haven't told them yet and and we're not the only show in town god's going to use other people but how important it is to value them so much more so than our comfort uh, the things that we're used to how much more so is it important that they understand how wide and deep and long and high is the love of jesus christ we stop and pray encourage you to uh, think through your own chapter 16 who would those people be that God has brought into your life father we thank you for your great love thank you for the way that you have brought people into our lives and you have loved us with an everlasting love lord we give this offering to you today we pray that you would bless it so that your kingdom would grow and be healthy and glorify you 
In your son's name we pray. Amen.